If it's nerdy, we're into it. Gaming, movies, television, wrestling, comics, whatever. We are Kyle Eckert and Chris Heck, two lifelong friends with a passion for the world of geekery. And this is the Geek Catch-Up Podcast. Welcome back, Geek Catch-Up family. I'm Chris Heck. And I'm Kyle Eckerd. After 11 months and 22 chapters, our biggest season to date is coming to a close. That's right, today's discussion is Chapter 39, and it's our Season 2 finale. We want to have some fun while closing out this season, so for this one, we've been gathering input from you, the GK community, and scouring the interwebs for both fun and weird pop culture myths, urban legends, mysteries, and conspiracy theories. Nothing is off the table as we've got topics from the worlds of music, video games, television, wrestling, and even Kyle and I's personal history. And of course, since this is Question Roulette, it means we will be letting Chance determine which of the 23 topics we will be sharing our thoughts on. But before we roll the dice, we want to both send a big thank you to everyone for listening to Geek Catch Up and say that we truly appreciate you choosing to spend your time with us. If you've enjoyed Geek Catch Up, then be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a chapter and leave us a review to let us know how you think we're doing. You can also find us on social media to get updates on the show and content from the world of geekery, Geek Catch Up Podcast on Facebook and YouTube, at Geek Catch Up Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find links to all of these accounts in the show notes below and on our website, geekcatchuppodcast.com. There's even links to our Patreon page and PayPal if you'd like to support the show, but the absolute best thing you can do is simply share Geek Ketchup with your friends and family. So on a similar note here, Kyle, before we dive into Question Roulette, do you have any reflections or thoughts on Season 2 that you want to share? Thoughts and reflections, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone out there that has listened to us and supported us in this Season 2. It's been a ton of fun. Uh, just kind of seeing the growth of the show and the growth of our various social media accounts and interacting with new folks. It's always a ton of fun. And, you know, we got going on this a year and a half ago, two years ago. I guess it was two years ago. Just about two years. Yeah, it's coming yeah, up Yeah, just two about years. two years. And we didn't know what it was going to be like. We didn't know where it was going to take us. And here we are still going at it and producing content and, you know, just a ton of fun. So thank you to everyone out there that, that has supported us in any possible way. Yeah, definitely mucho gratitude out to everybody because I don't think that I ever had, you know, the ambitions that we were going to have this level of love come back to us. You know, we were looking at it, as we've said before, as a small project, and it's definitely ballooned into uh, a, a big part of our lives. So yeah, um, that has absolutely been awesome you know, meeting folks and just interacting with the community as it's continued to grow has been one of the best parts about it. You know, just learning about new IPs and and getting to interact with new people from around the world now (laughs) has just been kind of awesome as a good byproduct of it. So um, I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, it really is one of those things that like you you kind of put it perfectly. We didn't know what it was going to be. It was just kind of like a side thing for us. And it really has. It's turned into this everything that we address every day. I, there's not a day that goes by where you and I aren't texting something about Geek Catch-Up in some way. Um, and all the people we've met along the way, especially, yeah, the international folks, like, that's so crazy. Who would have thought, like, two dudes just 
hooking up microphones in spare rooms of their houses could, <laughs> to go on to, you know, in such a short time, meet so many different people from so many different areas. It's true. Uh, yeah. It's been wild uh, and a ton of fun and spreading the love of geekery that that's been a big, big thing too, is, you know, we, we knew that we wanted to talk about geekery and the things that we loved and hearing from feedback from listeners about what they, they like and enjoy and suggestions on new topics and new comics uh, one of one of the biggest things for me, a shining point of season two has been the comic die. Right. Yep. And I know you and I actually were literally talking about this earlier today. Like it went from this comic that I picked up at the comic book shop and didn't really know much about and just tried it. And it was really awesome. And it has turned into this thing where we've done several chapters on it. And we get a ton of feedback from people saying, oh, hey, I listened to your chapter about this comic book. And I went out immediately, went to Wonder Book or my library or Amazon. Yep. And I bought the first volume of it. And now I'm hooked. And that alone is like exactly what I wanted to do when we started this is take these things that I love and feel passionate about talk about them and have other people be like, oh, wow, I've never heard of that before. They go out and try it and then they fall in love with it. And it's just, it's it's really hard to describe how cool of a feeling that is to be able to do that for a wide range of people. We talk about it. I mean, we definitely love the IPs that we're into and and we always want to talk about them. That's why we have the podcast. Our, our group chats are always lit up everything, you know, any chances we can get to dive deeper, you know, talk with other folks about their thoughts on the IPs or their theories on what's going on with the stories and things like that is just a ton of fun. So I totally agree with you there. Um, you mentioned to growth earlier, and that was one of the big things I had was I thought that season two was just a lot about our growth throughout the last year. You know, we expanded on the content we've been producing we started doing more video. Um, we started learning a lot more about what works and what doesn't. I don't want to necessarily say we hit a stride, but you know that first season was definitely a lot of a feeling out period. And while we still do some of that, you know, I feel like we we have a little bit more handle on what this podcasting thing is all about. Um, but also the GK community, huge shout out to them because over the last year that has really grown a lot. You know, we're around eleven thousand followers on social media now across the different accounts. Um, as far as listeners go, we've had listeners check in from over 450 cities across 30 countries and six continents. That is like the thing that continues to blow my mind is that international piece of all of the different cities and countries. Like you think, okay, my mom's going to listen to the podcast. Your mom's going to listen to the podcast. <laughs> Friends and family and areas that we live in, you would expect are, are going to hopefully do you the solid and hit the play each week. But it's those folks that you've never met and live in a totally different country that found you and started listening to you and stuck with it. And that, that's just, it's wild. It's so crazy to think about, like seeing those those cities tick up and the countries really tick up. I know that we hit every continent in which most people live on. I think the only continent we haven't been listened to on is Antarctica. Right. Yeah. Some research scientist down there needs to get on the GK bandwagon. Right. Yeah. Like we just need a we need a friend that goes and does like a yeah, a little scientific journey and hits play down there just, <laughs> just so we can say it. 
but it's it's so cool it's you know it's really hard like i said it's really hard to put into words like what an amazing feeling that that is to feel to make these connections with other people and to know that you're in the earbuds of folks all around the world is pretty awesome for sure and you know all of that kind of added up to seeing more interactions more likes more shares more comments from everybody and we definitely appreciate that that gives us that opportunity to interact you know i think we try to do pretty good about being pretty timely about you know responding to comments or direct messages and you know honestly keep it up do more of it we enjoy it share what you love about the world of geekery your favorite ips from really any genre oh yeah you know throw them on there send us messages let us know what you want us to talk about somebody out there is going to you know recommend something to us that's going to become our new favorite ip the same way we've had that feedback about people you know really liking die or whatever it is so that's what i'm waiting for is you know more of that Absolutely. And I think as we grow and get more comfortable and hit our stride, like you said, uh, we'll be able to produce more things that you enjoy. I know we, we've tried a couple things here late in season two that are a little outside of the, our regular wheelhouse. And um, we, we felt confident with how some of them turned out and maybe not so confident how other things turned out. But that doesn't mean we want to stop trying. We want to keep pushing forward right. and making new things for everyone to watch and listen to and interact with. That's something I'm super excited about as we move into the future of just more content, videos, interactions, likes, shares, subscribes, getting those discussion boards going with fans. Right. And yep. Maybe even the opportunity of getting some live streaming going and maybe an AMA or just playing video games with people. Yeah. All things I think could be a ton of fun. Yeah, for sure. And we definitely have um, a lot of stuff that we are excited about getting into as we move into later this year. And as we come back for season three in August, um, we've got the Shopify store going up with some merch. If you're into a nice graphic tee, we've got the X-Men logo, you know, right on the shirt. We've got pins, we've got stickers and more, you know, coming there. And then, as you said, the streaming, we're going to have some exclusive Patreon content coming. So tons going on, probably more guests than we had you know, in season three, you know, just continuing that trend and uh, just really, really stoked. You know, as much as I'm looking forward to the little break, these July breaks that we've been doing have been great. You know, that perfect reset time. Every We always kind of start to gear up and look forward at the end of our seasons. And so it always also makes me excited to like go ahead and start working on it. So, yeah, definitely pumped about it. I'm right there with you. I have a smile on my face because I remember last season between seasons one and two, uh, we got hit with the idea of trying a new intro, which. Right. Yeah. You know, we said we were going to take this July break and I ended up recording and editing and making that during the month of July. And we've kind of repeated it a little bit where we're going to take this (laughs) July break between season two and three. But we've just this past weekend, we got together and filmed a bunch of content and took a bunch of pictures and it's got the you know the creative juice is flowing and yep. <laughs> so we'll see how much of a real break i actually take in july because there's just so much excitement about the brand and what we want to do and where we want to go and things we want to try i it's hard just to kick back and say uh you know take four weeks and not do anything podcast related exactly it's just not gonna happen like there's too much too much hype too much excitement for sure 
So once again, one last time from the bottom of our hearts to everybody out there that's listening, thank you so much. You're giving us the staying power to want to, you know, obviously keep coming back. Never expected we'd be all the way down this 39 chapters plus in, but we have no uh, plans to stop. We're coming back and, you know, chapter 50 won't be too far off. It's still really funny. I think we probably mentioned it at the season one finale where when we sat down and started playing this one out, we said we were going to do eight chapters. Eight, yep. Eight, we said we were going to do eight, see what it was all about, and here we are recording 39 plus all the wrestling recaps that we've done, close to 60 pieces of content, and uh, that eight seems laughable at this point. I know, right? (laughs) We had humble beginnings, we always say it. We had humble beginnings, Yeah, and we've just kept it going on, so... But all right, man, let's uh, bounce over to the roulette table here and start talking about some of the more odd and controversial theories, myths, uh, you know, urban legends, etc. Like I said at the beginning, from that world of pop culture. Real quick, just in case this is the first time you've listened to one of our question roulette segments, I want to cover a bit of housekeeping uh, just to make sure everybody knows what is going on. In a nutshell, Kyle and I have a list of 23 topics here, and oftentimes in the past we've had questions, you know, hence the name, (laughs) Um, and then we've used some sort of randomizer to determine which we would then, you know, ask or discuss with this go-around given that we're looking at, you know, these things from the world of pop culture. I'd say they're more just topics versus questions. Yeah. But, you know, all of them have some of that mystery. They might be topics and questions, I guess, in a way. <laughs> Could be a little bit of both. Well, it depends on which one we hit, whether or not, yeah, is it a topic or is it, do you believe in it? Right. So we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Right. So in, in the past, we've used, like, the actual Google randomizer to choose all of what we would talk about. But Kyle and I have been on a recent D&D streak I have become quite the dice goblin lately, so we figured why not use another chance to break out you know, some of my favorite RPG dice and we'll roll for which topics we pick. So I've got my um, polished Amethyst D20 and then the D4 so we can cover all 23 questions. And I got to give a shout out. They come from Misty Mountain Gaming. I think they're down in Alabama. They are awesome little dice. They've got a wide range of purple tones and, you know, this gold Nordic style numbers on it. And I like the stone dice. I've got them recently, but they've got a good in-between weight, you know, not quite as light as the acrylic, but not quite as heavy as the full metals. So they've been they've been fun to roll with lately. That's pretty sweet. I know that I'm still the the redheaded stepchild of our D&D group <laughs> because we play on Discord. We're not in person because of where everybody lives. So I still use the built-in D&D Beyond dice roller, and I've caught a fair bit of slack from our little D&D group from it and the folks at the comic book shop. <laughs> I'm more at the Diceless Wonder over here. But hey, if you're not familiar with Misty Mountain, you know we're not affiliated with them, but I definitely recommend anyone looking for quality dice to go check them out. Um, I've definitely enjoyed surfing their website more than a few times and, and picking out different dice, but... Uh, I think at this point, Kyle, it's probably time to go ahead and roll initiative. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it up. All right. So first roll of the day here. We will see where it takes us to get started. That is going to be number 12. Number 12. 
Oh, this is a this is a solid one. It's a classic. It may be one of the original <laughs> like urban myths that that came circling around. It is the fact that Tupac, Michael Jackson, and Elvis are all alive together on an island somewhere. This one came by recommendation of the No More Late Fees podcast. So it this one's fairly straightforward, and it's Michael Jackson, Elvis, Tupac, Notorious B.I.G., all of these famous celebrities that had famous deaths faked their death and are living on an island somewhere. So it, it really comes down to, do you believe in it? For me, I don't typically believe these types of theories, though I think that it would be super mind-blowing if, you know, like tomorrow Tupac just showed up on TikTok or something. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like maybe back in the day, you know, early 1900s and stuff, if somebody wanted to fake a death and disappear, it would be achievable. But anything, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s, especially as we've gotten closer to present day, it we're so digital. There's cameras everywhere. Like, somebody somewhere would have spotted Tupac by now. You know what I mean? Most likely, most likely. That's kind of how I feel about this one. It's a fun thing to joke about, but I don't think it's quite believable that at this day and age, somebody could continue to fake their death without some sort of secret plastic surgery or Nick Cage, John Travolta face off. Right. Type deal. You know, like, <laughs> that's Astro just, Troy, man. yeah, that's just not possible, but totally agree. Maybe if it was the Wild West, you, you could disappear and, and be somebody different. I know. Well, this gets into a whole other different mystery where they talk about a lot of World War II German soldiers coming yeah. in and living in secret. So, like, that's that definitely whole true. Show, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely, yeah, that whole show Hunters on Amazon is based around that. Uh, so, then that wasn't all that long ago, but for no. somebody of this status, right. with this type of fame, I don't think it's possible. I think, yeah, the only way it would have to be something like, Elvis is in witness protection with the government. Like the government would have to be involved some way to just like make it so buttoned up, you know, end any potential threats. Like it's just today, especially as we've gotten through the nineties and stuff. I mean, we're under so much surveillance and, you know, how do you survive without a debit card or just <laughs> anything like that, you know? Right. And, and I get that a lot of people, especially back a little bit, when they these artists were still continuing to have music come out and albums and things like that, a lot of people would point to that and be like, well, Michael Jackson's been dead for however long, or Tupac's been dead for however long. You know, how is this brand new CD of never before released music coming out? But that's not really applicable simply because, I mean, it's pretty widely known that, you know, musicians, just like artists, they're going to create a lot of content that never gets published exactly and so yeah. it's real easy to go back and be like oh this beat he worked on one time <laughs> or this you know solo just him into a mic elvis singing a random song that we had recorded on accident or whatever it may be so yeah yeah exactly like maybe but unlikely yeah so i mean that's definitely probably one of the most common or like widely known myths out there in all of pop culture though so i think it's a good way to get us started here Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. It brings a smile to my face because our list is is a mixed bag of ones that you'll totally recognize and ones that you'll have no idea. And that one is the most recognizable <laughs> pop culture myth of all time. For sure. Well, I'm going to roll the dice here. We'll see where we go next. 
16. 16. Oh, another fun one here. Uh, 16 is Tom and Jerry, famous cartoon cat and mouse, are actually best friends, but have to pretend that they hate each other. And they and they do this because Tom's owner, if found out that he was best friends with a mouse that's wreaking havoc in the house, would get rid of Tom. So they have to push up this facade that they actually hate each other so they can still coexist. Yeah, this is not one that I think I had ever heard until we started putting this together. And there were a few on here, especially with the shout outs from the fans and those recommendations. But I kind of love it. Like <laughs> yeah. The idea of this one is just right up my alley. Like, I, I think that it would be a funny twist. And, and on the other side, it would also kind of help explain why they never actually, you know, really, truly harmed or killed each other. Well, I think that's cartoon. I think they've done enough that would actually kill each other. Probably, if it but a you cartoon. know, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would agree with you because that's that was my thought. Is th- this is just a fun little theory that is a great added layer to what would seem like a fairly straightforward cartoon. Right. Exactly. You know, it's taking this. Uh, your, I, I feel awful that I'm blanking on who invented Tom and Jerry. Of like off the top of my head, I, I feel like just an <laughs> awful, awful person. Um, but it's oh, obviously it's a Hanna Barbera. There you me. go. Yeah, I feel so. so yeah, it's a Hanna Barbera cartoon. It's okay. I didn't have it right off recall, so you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. And like, what would be just this? Like I said, a very straightforward. Like we're gonna make a cat and a mouse, and they're gonna be crazy and cause havoc on each other. This is just a fun dynamic that that totally peels back the onions right uh, of this cartoon well and it's one of those fun ones that once you see it or hear it, it it's going to be hard to ever see a tom and jerry cartoon again without thinking about it through that lens right <laughs> yeah yeah it's totally true like oh like they need to like side eye each other or this and that and i'm sure there's the offshoot episode where they do work together Right. Whether yeah. there's like a new dog in town or, <laughs> or like something like that where they do need to work together for some reason. And it's going to make those episodes that much more fun. Well, and they're always successful. So once again, maybe it just shows that, you know, they are a good team because of that friendship. Could be. Otherwise, I mean, with how much other vitriol we see in every other episode, how could they possibly come together as a tag team and, and make it work? Right, yeah. It's what a classic, <laughs> yeah, classic way to look at that. They're a tag team now. Yeah, you know, it's like two rivals, man, two top dogs. We always talk about it when, like, Austin and Michaels had a tag team, or Austin and Rock. Yeah, <laughs> well, and then more recently, you think of the Cesaro Sheamus run. Exactly. They had their best of seven. Yeah, and that made them good friends. So then they started tagging together and developed the bar, which was a pretty solid tag team in my book. What I'm saying is we see plenty of other examples in pop culture that could prove this one true. It's true. It's true. And now all I want is a tag team match between Tom and Jerry and Sylvester and Tweety. (laughs) Give it to me, WB. Give it to me, Hanna-Barbera. I need this. All right. Ready to roll again? Let's do it up. That is going to be seven. Seven. Ooh, seven's a fun one. We're getting a lot of like the the bigger named ones here, and that's the poltergeist curse. Yeah, so of course, every you know, most everybody's familiar with the poltergeist, a cult classic horror blockbuster 
from, I guess, back, what, early 80s originally? 1982. 1982 was the first one. Yeah. Um, Directed by Toby Hooper and obviously produced by Steven Spielberg. Um, But what was interesting about this was that, you know, of course, it was a very creepy, you know, impactful horror film showing this little girl getting abducted inside her own home by evil ghosts that are controlled by like a, I don't know, like a wolf demon. It's been a while since I've seen it. But where this urban legend or pop culture myth came up was that during the filming and even soon after in some cases but while these films of the franchise were being made there were actually four cast members that died two of which were kind of more abrupt and mysterious and it really fueled this fan theory so we saw heather o'rourke who played actually the main little girl carol um, when she was just six years old she died at age 12 after being misdiagnosed she actually had a heart attack, and then I think they found some sort of abnormality in her in her abdomen. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a tragic death, but just kind of right there while the films were still being made. Dominic Dunn, or Dominique Dunn, who played the original older sister, was actually murdered by her partner after being choked out and left for dead. So that was a little bit more sidious. Um, and she was only uh, 23 at the time. Wow, yeah. To kind of impactful abrupt deaths there and then from poltergeist 2 julian beck who played the evil preacher he had died but it was from stomach cancer so that was a little bit more straightforward and will sampson who played um the native american shaman in one of the films he had died on an operating table while getting i think what i read was a heart and lung transplant which, of course, has a very low survival rate anyways. So kind of two a little bit more interesting and then two a little bit more natural, but um, definitely didn't keep everybody from jumping on that, thinking that maybe there was something up here, especially with all of the spooky nature of the films in itself. What's really interesting, and you see this sometimes with these horror movies, these classics like The Exorcist and then the Chernobyl. There's, There's another big one that comes out of the Chernobyl Diaries like those types of movies where it's just this creepy vibe and you get it on set. And a lot of people feel the the supernatural, like don't appreciate maybe Hollywood, Hollywood right. <laughs> kind of making light or making money off their existence and things like that. So true. You could, you could really read into some deep stuff here and, and look at that, the ghosts and the supernatural or, or maybe like the, just like some religious influences and kind of saying like, "Hey, we don't appreciate the representation right. <laughs> of, of way of how Hollywood does it." There are also some other rumors that helped fuel this because one of the um, actresses who played the mom, I think her name was Jo Beth Williams, she had actually claimed at one point that Steven Spielberg used actual human remains in some of the scenes because it was cheaper than it was to get you know like good looking props made. I, I saw that as well, and I cannot believe that. There's just no way that even in the 80s or like early 80s when this movie was made, would that be allowed in any type of circumstance? Like, yeah. that that's just too much. Because you think if they did it for the poltergeist, he would also do it for the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> and so like all those, all like... Well, yeah, One-Eyed Willie. When yeah. they finally find the skeleton of One-Eyed Willie, that's also a legitimate skeleton and not a prop. That would definitely 
really changed things for some of those movies looking back on them. But to your original point, though, I mean, if there were some truth to that fact or, you know, that aspect of it, maybe that would help explain how some of that supernatural forces could have gotten involved here, you know, bringing someone's actual remains who, you know, maybe was a disgruntled Hollywood worker or whatever it may be, you know, comes in, starts haunting the casting crew. Could be. Yeah, that could totally happen. <laughs> You're inviting those spirits in. Everybody knows the rules of vampires and other spirits. If you invite them into your house, <laughs> you're doomed. You're doomed. So it's kind of the same premise here. If Steven Spielberg brought legitimate skeletons onto the set and used them as props, he opened the mystical door to yeah. allow the supernatural to take over on these movie sets. <laughs> ill-advised, Mr. Spielberg, ill-advised. It's true. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think mostly this one feels to me like a series of bad coincidences more than anything. And then, I mean, that movie was just so creepy. So, like, I feel like anything associated with it would naturally just make you creeped out and make you kind of question what is going on. Um, and I do I do believe in the spiritual world. You know, I do think that throughout times and periods, you know, people or towns or areas or whatever can definitely run into some bad shit. But I do not know, just kind of looking at the breakdown of what happened to these four individuals, if you could really point it more to this movie i feel like something like you know like the passion of the christ when that movie happened and you had that actor you know getting struck by lightning and like some of those other things i feel like that's almost a more compelling case for for something in this realm but you know i, I could see it being possible yeah definitely possible but i would agree a more logical way to look at it is a series of coincidental things happening and whether it's due, like especially if you look at the the one actor passing away on the operating table to something that has a low success rate in the first place. Right. Like that just ties into the mystique that was already building. Like, and, and at that point you're looking for it. And if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Uh, definitely an interesting one though. I might have to go back and watch that film. Cause it has been a number of years, you know, see if it stands up in, in 2021. Yeah. It being that early 80s horror movie, like trying to fully spook you out, like, does it hold up? And I would bet that it does because of the way of just natural effects and the way Spielberg shot things, the way you had to shoot things, the way, right. you know, the way that breaks down in the early 80s, you have to be a little extra and, and do something a little different. And sometimes that really goes a long way in horror movie. Well, and some of those films had that less is more aspect to it where it wasn't trying to gore you out. Like it was the drama and just, you know, like I always remember with Poltergeist, the last thing I'll say was just that. I mean, just that TV yeah, on the static, like every one of us who grew up at that time had TVs that would do that and you wouldn't think twice about it. But then just in that context, in that film, you're like, oh, my God, it's the scariest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It cements it for an entire generation of people that are terrified to wake up at 1.30 a.m. and see nothing but static on Yes, the yes, yes. <laughs> now all we see is the, are you still watching? <laughs> <laughs> it's so much less threatening. <laughs> it's true, it's true. All right, I'm going to roll this D20 and see where we go next. Ooh, number three. I think I know what this one is. Oh, number three. All right, so we said we were going to do a handful from our personal lives, and I'm not sure there's a bigger myth 
conspiracy theory, possible friends throwing friends under the bus with our group, and it is the Metal Gear trial. So for anyone that has doesn't know Chris and I from when we were 12 years old, the Metal Gear trial, here's kind of how it went down. Metal Gear Solid was like this uber popular game, and I, my brother's friend let my brother and I borrow it. And if you remember that particular PlayStation 1 CD case, it was a double disc. There was a disc in the front, there was a disc in the back, so it had a thicker CD case, or a thicker jewel case, I should say. And we got to borrow it, we played through it, and then we held on to it. But it was a popular game, everybody wanted to play it. So naturally, I let like my friends borrow it. I let my friend Sean borrow it, and he was going to play it. And then he was going to let Chris borrow it, and he was going to play it. And it would eventually find its way back to me, and I'd get it back to the original owner. So I let Sean borrow it, and he played it. And then, I guess it sat for a little while before he gave it over to Chris for Chris to play. And then he gave it to Chris, and then once again, it sat for a little while before Chris got an opportunity to play it. Facts of the case, then, yes. Yep, back to the case. <laughs> and then say each time it got passed from person to person, both discs went into the jewel case and then put on a ledge. And somewhere during all of this, the CD on the inside got broken. So it ended up with Chris. Chris goes to play it, opens the jewel case, broken CD. Now we don't own this game. My friend, my brother's friend, is the owner. So if we broke his game, we're going to have to pay him back. And thus begins the big mystery. Who broke the CD? When did it get broken? And why won't anybody fess up? So we'll put Chris on the spot here. And we'll talk about the Metal Gear Solid jewel case. 20 years later, still, all I have to say is in the words of the master poet, wordsmith, songwriter, and singer, Shaggy, it wasn't me. (laughs) There it is. There it is. He says, it wasn't me. I will take that to the grave. My Fifth Amendment rights have already been violated. I was put on (laughs) trial on the playground, and I am still fighting to clear my name to this day. Uh, that's true. We we went deep into this one, folks. We on the playground in the little neighborhood that we went into, we had a full blown trial where Chris had to testify, our buddy Sean had to testify, the rest of us sat back, listened to their stories, made judgment calls, waited for someone to come forward and say, you know what? Yep, my bad, but that day never came. And to this day, twenty years later, we still don't know the final results of the Metal Gear trial. Yeah, it was either Sean or the cats. That's all I can or say. Or the cats, yeah. Louis was an evil bitch. So that that cat, I think, has framed me, and that's really where this is all at. Louis was quite the aggressive cat at times. <laughs> I can agree with that. That, there, that was part of the trial here, folks, that everybody everybody's house had a cat. And everyone knows how cats can be. They'll just knock glasses off tables for no reason. They'll do get into all sorts of mischief just because they feel like it that day. And so we, it is either Sean or Chris is claiming one of these rogue kittens 
stepped on the case, knocked the case off the ledge. They look cute, but they're demons. Like, they just, they've never gotten along with me. Our kinds do not mix. It's true, just have, don't have the cat aura about you. I, I think what we need to do, because we're not going to solve this here, I think what we need to do is is get production rolling on the first ever Geek Catch-Up documentary film and and really put the pressure on Sean to admit that it was him. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll have no idea it's coming. We're just gonna we're gonna ask him to come on. We're gonna ask him to talk about the Metal Gear Solid trial, and then we're just gonna bombard him with like, okay, dude, twenty five years later, we're in our mid thirties. The CD got paid back. We we paid the friend back. We the other thing is we've all bought this game since then. Right, yeah. So there's true. multiple copies that are owned across all of our collections. And we we're just gonna bombard him and be like, dude, you gotta admit it. You gotta admit that you broke it. And then I want I want restitution for restitution. my good name. There you go. You're gonna call for it twenty years later. We still don't know. <laughs> and I and I still don't know who to believe. Forty seven ninety nine restitution. Yeah, there you go. Forty-seven ninety-nine. That probably is what a PlayStation One game cost at, at launch. At this point, you can go to like a any old used game and just buy it for three dollars. You're like, nope. Right. Yeah. I want the I want the nineteen ninety-nine price. Thank you. Still in the cellophane wrapper. That's asking for a lot. That would probably be worth more money than just four hundred and seventy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But folks, we'll never get it. We're not going to get the answer today. What a bummer. Nope. Or maybe we did get the answer today. And Chris is. That's my position. It has been for however, what, 20 years at least. It's been my position. I will not change. I have zero knowledge of how that game disc got broken. Either way, it did get broken. <laughs> one of the cats did it. I guess we're just going to have to say one of the cats did it or maybe somebody else it could have been broken in transport you never know exactly the jewel, jewel cases aren't perfect even no. the double wides weren't perfect it's all circumstantial i'm just going to start throwing legal terms out until we move on to the next topic <laughs> all right let's roll it up folks so yeah let's keep let's keep on objection going, sustained <laughs> that is going to be 22 22 down to the bottom of the list this is a fun one coming from Friend of ours and definitely listener of the GK community, Anthony. So it's the song Love Roller Coaster by Ohio Players. And it was rumored that a woman was murdered in the alleyway outside of the recording studio while they were recording this song. And if you listen real closely in the background of this song, you can actually hear the woman screaming. Yeah, there's a little soundbite right before the second verse. And it's a little bit longer section where you hear some grunts and some woos and some owls, you know, and they're and they're all singing along to it. And then there's this one, you know, maybe two second sound tucked in there before they go back into the song. And so you, you told me a little earlier that you've listened to the song multiple times today. Yeah. Over and over and over. Are you hearing it? Oh, the sound is absolutely there. I spent a good bit of time today just kind of put it on repeat and then was going back to that specific section. And there is definitely an audible sound in that part of the song. And I think that I can see how people would think or equate it to a scream or a woman screaming Mm -hmm. because it does have that kind of a tone. But at the same time where I have an issue with this theory 
is that a we know with sound editing even back then like it could literally have been almost anything from what has been claimed to just a distorted little sound off the board or something like that but it is interesting to me that that sound to me is very noticeably different from everything else that is in that section, like the harmonizing and the way that the band members are singing those grunts and those oohs and those owls and how, you know. Sure. And then this one sound is like audibly different. So yeah, it, I can see where this came from. Hard to say if I believe it was like an actual murder, but it is there. Yeah, it is there. And I'm, I'm with you. I think it is very unlikely that the timing of it all and the sounds if you're in a recording studio making music it's got to be fairly loud there's going to be other things that have been picked up versus something that is probably through at least one wall right yeah most likely more and sound paneling inside the studio itself and dozens of engineers people with headphones on i just don't think all of that timing and various dynamics that go into a recording studio lend to this one being that right lend it to being somebody being murdered right like a stray sound probably yeah and but someone being murdered meh. and there are some quirks to some of the theories around what the sound is like there is the one specifically like you said woman being murdered outside got caught on got caught on tape there's some others that say oh no it was just a sample from a 911 emergency call of a woman screaming um, it even goes so far as some people claiming that the band murdered the Playboy model, Esther Corday, who was on the cover. You know, she was the nude woman on the cover with the honey. Sure. And so it kind of ranges a little bit as far as exactly what it is or where it came from. But what I thought was really kind of interesting and also a little bit cool in its own way, especially thinking back to like bands from from a while back. From what I read, the band apparently, when they started to hear that this was a theory, they took a vow of silence amongst each other. <laughs> so that way it would just keep the mystery alive and then like hopefully sell more albums and stuff like that. So, you know, good yeah. business, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you would think the Poltergeist curse probably went through the same thing where they're like, hey, this this myth is good for business. True, it's possible. Let's keep it going and keep the song circulating, keep people talking about it. Right. I, I was thinking some, kind of going back to my first point about how it could have been anything, I, I started to think maybe instead of this being something kind of evil or 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 whatever, uh, maybe it was just more of a Easter egg that one of the producers or whoever, one of the band members kind of just threw into the track. Being the fact that it is like noticeably different, it doesn't feel like it was like, you know, really meant to be part of the song or in the same context or key as everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sure, so sure. I was like almost thinking maybe it was just this little like, hey, I'm just going to put this into this song that's got all this other sound effects and singing going on. And, you know, I'll know it's there, but maybe nobody will ever pick it up. And then it bloomed into this, you know, crazy theory. Could be that that's a sound engineer having a little too much fun <laughs> with a song, but I mean, but it's like a it, one second blip. I don't know if it's like too much liberty. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. What's surprising is if it's like, how did that song ever get released this way? Because you got to think it got listened to by 
dozens of people before it ever made it to the radio. Good point. So yeah, somebody out there knows exactly what this is <laughs> and just you know isn't talking about it. We need the Ohio players to come clean, like Sean. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it's never gonna end, Sean. I love you. If you're listening to this, I'm just gonna say that I love you. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> What a grudge. What a grudge. I thought we were going to move on and keep the die rolling. Okay, I will. I will. Here we are. I will. Give me number seven. Number seven. That is the Poltergeist Curse, which we already covered. All right. Yeah, we already covered that one. I'm going to cast roll again. Uh, 17, I think. 17. Oh, no. This is a new one. Okay. It's a new one. So, yeah, this one goes back to really right... In our middle school, high school days, that PlayStation 1 era, you know, it's popped up a few times, but friend and guest of the podcast, Alex Analosi, threw this one out there to us uh, that, you know, Tomb Raider or even some of the other fighting games out there have, quote unquote, you know, nude codes or things you can do to unlock naked versions of Lara Croft or some of the characters, So I can definitely remember this being something that was talked about, especially us being in middle school and, you know, kind of early high school days. Stuff like this gets out. You read it in a random gamer magazine or something, and it's just going to go wildfire through all all of the kids in the school and whatnot. But what do you remember about this one? And did you ever unlock nude Laura Croft? I well, I'll answer the second question first. No, I never <laughs> unlocked nude Laura Croft, but I, you definitely remember this. I mean, the video game era. Who video games are targeted to in most cases? It, it's right up this alley of creating these silly little myths that you can get the fighters from DOA who are already scant, like dressed in so little clothing and like, okay, we'll just remove the bikinis and they'll fight naked. Right. Yeah. Playing to honestly, (laughs) uh, dancing around it. They're playing to the horny little teenage boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what this is. And it's, I, I, I always remember it and it, it makes you laugh. It makes you smile. It's probably a little disgusting looking back on it. It's certainly something that I remember. Like, absolutely remember in the various tips and tricks magazines or, like, talking about it at school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But in the days before the internet, that's how rumors got around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was more word of mouth and and publications. I definitely don't believe in it. I mean, I'm sure as a gullible little horny middle schooler at the time, as we all were, I mean, every little kid probably was like, oh, my God, what do you mean? I can get, you know, so-and-so nude and play with them running around. But looking back at it with a more mature mind and an adult understanding of how things work, you know, especially at that time, I started to think about it really would have just been throwing gas on a fire that game developers and companies were already fighting at that time, like especially original Tomb Raider time. Yeah. Because, you know, in the 90s and and still in the early 2000s, you had Tipper Gore out there, you know, running around trying to get censorship. And, you know, there was always the arguments about violent video games and, you know, graphic content. And it was a really hot topic in society as the industry was still continuing to blossom and grow into this behemoth that we know it is today. So, like, if I'm looking back on those guys and they know, like, even just making a game like Tomb Raider where you're running around shooting guns and everything – 
it just seems like that would have been unnecessary, like going the extra mile for bad PR type deal if it was actually in one of those games. Right. And I liken it to the same thing with the Ohio players. It would have had to gone through so many people. Right. So, so many developers, like engineers, everybody working on the game would have had to have known about it to at some point. Maybe, well, maybe not everybody. Yeah. But but enough a, people. A few people minimum. Yeah. A few people minimum to know about it, plus some higher like higher up executives would have known that this is possible. And you just can't imagine, even in the 90s, when things were a little more lax, it would have never passed through. Right. And there are video games out there that get into that content. I mean, we saw Duke Nukem where you could hit the strippers and they would open their tops and... You know, there are adult video games, triple X video games out there, but they're much more obscure. They're not these mainstream titles coming out of Activision and Crystal Dynamics and like these big name companies that are sometimes public companies, too, that have a lot riding on these game releases. Yeah, 100 percent. And in regards to Duke Nukem that they're selling you what that game is right yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. and that's just not the vibe of tomb raider well no. like yeah tomb raider got a little free form with the tank top and the the triangle breasts and things like that right I, you don't think you know that's not the target of what they were trying to do yeah so on that one i think i'm gonna rate that one false <laughs> i would yeah i would say that one is false we we haven't been calling out which one's or false, or which ones are true, but that one, it seems a little too far-fetched to be real. If anybody's got the cheat codes, though, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) All this talk of Metal Gear has sent you back to being 13, apparently. It's true, it's true. I'm, like, reverting back and having flashbacks from that trauma when I was on trial, sitting on that swing, just rocking back and forth, rocking back and All right, the dice says 14, Kyle. 14. Ah, we go to the world of Harry Potter for this one, coming from friend of the channel, Mike Fee, who is a big Harry Potter fan himself. And it is the fact that J.K. Rawlings, the writer of the Harry Potter series, is actually Rita Skeeter from Harry Potter. So, Chris, I know that you're not too familiar with the various characters of Harry Potter. Well, I've seen the movies. Uh, Rita Skeeter doesn't stand out to me. And I haven't read the book, so maybe that is why. Um, But if she was in the movies, maybe as more of like a side character or something obscure. I don't recall her. And, you know, you're the Harry Potter guy. So I kind of feel like I'm just going to let you take this one entirely. So, yeah. So Rita Skeeter is the journalist that is covering the world of magic. She writes for the Daily Prophet, which is like a wizarding newspaper. Sure. And she's like the lead journalist and this and that. And so basically... The theory, it's not really so much of a myth or urban legend, it's just a fan theory that J.K. Rowling was actually Rita Skeeter in the magical world and she got banished Mm. due to the way that she wrote articles for the Daily Prophet. Um, And then this, her coming out and writing Harry Potter is her way of like getting back at the magical world, because if you know anything about Harry Potter, you know that the magical world keeps themselves separate and secret from muggles or like non-magical folk. Gotcha. And so this is her way of like she she was a part of this world and then they banished her. And so her way of getting back is coming out and writing these books and exposing the world in itself. 
And I think it's like a, it's a fun little fan theory, this and that. But obviously, it is a total hoax. Like there's nothing to really support it. I mean, obviously, it seems to be taking it into the realm of the fact that Harry Potter is real and and Hogwarts is real and that whole world, you know, is right behind platform nine and three quarters. But yeah, I mean, that goes a little far for me, I think. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I do think it's fun in a way that like you think Rita Skeeter as a character, that was J.K. Rowling's way of inserting her own personality and into the story, uh, like as a as an NPC or whatever, like to think of we're, we're talking so much about Dungeons and Dragons. We've talked about our RDM Alex and taking one of his players from another campaign and bringing him into our world as an NPC. Think of it under that guy. It's like, yeah, that's kind of fun. Cool little way to look at it. But yeah, the rest of it as this larger idea is just a little silly. So there's no like real text or anything that people point to or could point to that might make you question like, is there anything that you know of where like, okay, like this kind of reads like J.K. Rowling put a hint in here or something like that? Nothing that sticks out from my memory from the books. And quite frankly, like she's not exactly a beloved character in the books. Mm. So if she were herself, she'd be writing herself as kind of like poorly. <laughs> so, and I honestly, and the slack that JK Rowling has put herself in now, like she'd really just be doubling down on everything. Gotcha. True. <laughs> yeah. That was not something I had ever, ever heard about. So I was, I was struggling to, to kind of wrap my head around this one. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's some stuff, I guess there's like, they both have blonde hair. They're obviously both writers and there's some other things that are all about that. But if it all hinges on the fact that the magic and the magical world is legitimate, it's a little tough. Yeah. Tough pill to swallow. Yeah. So it's it's not one that I buy into, but I'm also not the biggest Rita Skeeter fan. Like, and honestly, I'm not sure I know anybody that is a Harry Potter fan that's like, ah, Rita's my favorite character in the whole book series. Sure. It, it sounds to me like you almost kind of just hope it isn't true. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> like you just Although, don't want it to be true. But I don't, you know, that that's that also puts me on the lines of saying I'm I hope that magic isn't real, which is definitely not the case because I think magic being real would be amazing. Well, we can <laughs> set that apart, you know. Yeah. It's more about the character and all that, you know. Do I yeah, so we'll say that. Do I want the <laughs> magical world of Harry Potter to be real behind the scenes? Absolutely, yes. Do I want J.K. Rowling to be anywhere near it as Rita Skeeter? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. Moving on. Five. Back to the top of the list. Ah, five. Five's one of my favorites. I'm so happy that we landed on that one. And that is the Avril Lavigne replacement conspiracy theory, which is just so good on so many <laughs> levels. So let's let's dive right into it. So this is obviously a conspiracy theory, urban legend that the pop punk musician Avril Lavigne died in 2003. And it was shortly after her debut album that that she passed away and that she was then replaced by a body double named Melissa. And Melissa has since gone on to live out Avril Lavigne's life 
there's all these little hidden words and subliminal messages weaved into the various songs that have released since that time. There's also a very infamous photo shoot in which Avril Lavigne has the name Melissa written on her hand. And they're all meant to like kind of put the truth out there that the original Avril died and this body double has taken her place and is now living out the life. And I don't know if it's true. Like that, this is kind of a tough one because there's a lot of just really, really strange evidence out there about this possibly being real. <laughs> this one to me just reeks of the dark web. <laughs> like it's yeah. just, <laughs> like I'm just envisioning just some like creepy internet troll who's obsessed with Avril Lavigne, you know, just on the dark web somewhere coming up with this stuff. But it is interesting, you know, it seems like from what I read on this, and I have to admit, I guess, that I had no idea that this was a thing until a few months ago when you were telling me about it randomly when we were prepping for another chapter. And, like, I I think I looked at you like, what did you just say? You know what I mean? Like... But it is interesting, like the subliminal messaging, the the Melissa thing on her hand, I think, is the most interest, you know, intriguing or, or compelling piece of evidence, I guess, if you could call it that for something like this. But at the same time, you know, it would be way too easy for her to have caught wind and just be like, you know what, I'm going to throw gasoline all over this, you know, and really give them something to bite into. Yeah, why not? Like. The the Melissa piece is by far the most interesting because it would not be a far stretch to say that celebrities have professional body doubles for various things to distract paparazzi and when, when they're being chased and things like that. So the idea that Avril would hire a body double or her record company or management would hire her somebody that looked like her to allow her to live a normal life to some extent. Is is not too much of a stretch. I'm gonna I'm gonna chop, but the problem though is that this isn't that she's just living somewhere with a body double doing work for her. This is that she's dead. Well, no, that's what I mean. But it started. It it started that Avril Lavigne hired this body double, oh, and then okay. she died, and then the body double was like, "Well, Continued I just want to be Avril Lavigne." Okay, I got you. I got you. I guess. I mean, yeah, we do see body doubles. That is a, is definitely a real thing. To do the full swap, like take over someone's life, I think that that would be a really hard secret to to keep. And, you know, a little bit because of what we said earlier with Tupac and them, modern times, you know, digital records and everything I think would be tough. But also, like, would every friend and family member of Avril and Melissa both be able to keep that secret? Hey, man, NDAs and a whole lot of money. You never know. You never know. Like, is the Avril Empire that large that they're just like dumping buckets of cash to like dozens of people to keep them keep them quiet? It could be. I mean, she's still going strong. I mean, putting music <laughs> out there to this day. I do believe, and we need Chad Kroger to do a tell-all. Oh yeah, he's the key because she's married to Chad Kroger right now, the lead singer of Nickelback. He could do it in a in an album that sounds exactly like all their other albums. Exactly. <laughs> Just jab, jab, right, yeah, right at him. No, but it, it's also not the first time we've seen a conspiracy of this nature surface. When they're back in the day, there was all the conspiracy theories that Paul McCartney died and got re- and got replaced from you know with the Beatles. 
So all of these celebrities being swapped out for other people, that's not something new. So why would you think that the Avril Lavigne thing is any different? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I, it, I'd rather just maybe sum it all up into like the lizard people conspiracy that's out there. You know, like people think that elites and like presidents and stuff are all these lizard people that can shapeshift. So maybe that's just what like all of Hollywood and media and music and everything is too. So like, you know, totally true. something happens to one of the superstars. They just like, blah, 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 you know, melt and like a lizard person pops right back into another one. I think that might be more viable. The original Avril Lavigne was lizard person living yeah. in the center of the earth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I'm, I, be, I believe all of this. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen her since 2003 when I was actually like randomly saw her live at the 930 club in DC. But I mean, that's, that's what I'm going with. I think lizard person. Did you see her live though? Or did you see Melissa live? Uh, it was pretty early, 2003. When did her record come out? Right before that. It was probably right around the time. I may, I mean, maybe I saw her before the accident happened. Um, all I remember was that a girl I dated at the time, her dad was a radio producer in the D.C. area and was like, yo, I got to go cover Avril Lavigne. I think Sev. You remember that band Sev? I do remember Opened Sev. for them. They did the Pepsi Blue commercial. Yeah. And they opened for her. And, you know, we just went and we had like VIP seats, got to meet her briefly. She looked like Avril, you know, but maybe she like had the gills in her eyes or something. There you go. I think you <laughs> met Melissa because that's when it all started. Chris triggered all of this in 2003. The butterfly effect happened at that moment. Yep. Look, look, look what you've done to pop, pop culture, Chris. Well done. Between the Metal Gear, Solid Nonsense, and Avril Lavigne. <sighs> Just a variant causing chaos. It's the way it goes. <laughs> all righty so i think we got time for about one or two more here for sure yeah we've already covered a bunch but let's see where we go next got some big ones and some little ones out there nine have we hit nine yet nine no that's the old friends friends Ooh. is actually a hallucination in phoebe's mind this is another one that is totally a random fan theory I, I couldn't even say how widely known this is, but just in the searches, it came up, and I, I really couldn't get away from it after seeing it and reading a little bit about it. I thought that it was really a fun way to look at the show Friends. You know, we grew up in the Friends era when it was live, it was on TV, yeah. and I mean, at that time, you could not miss it. It was It was always on TV, whether you wanted to watch it or not, you know? Yeah, it was, well, it was part of the NBC right. Thursday night lineup. Like, it was the top comedy, top sitcom right. out there. The, it, to this day, people are still going to argue that it's the best sitcom of all time. But for me, what I'm getting at is that, like, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't hate it, or you know, or anything like that, but it just wasn't ever, like, top tier for me. Like, even when I go back and watch it now, like, I'm like, eh, okay, friends, you know? Yeah. But but I say that just because when I saw this fan theory, I was like, this is what I'm going to believe for the rest of my life. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, that makes this show way more interesting. And Phoebe, you know, Lisa Kudrow's character is so wild and, like, obscure and weird enough that the idea of her just sitting somewhere, you know, tripping her face off, hallucinating that she has these friends and you know, lives in New York and the whole nine yards, I think would just be the greatest like reveal in television history. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's it's way better than uh, it when Dallas, when what's his I forgot his name like proved to be just in the shower and, and that whole <laughs> I don't know if you know that with Dallas where like they retro in like season seven. No, I don't think. I've yeah, seen it was that Patrick one. Duffy. So like Patrick Duffy dies. Oh, spoiler alert for Ooh. anybody that wants to go back and watch Dallas. <laughs> Patrick Duffy's character dies in like season six, and so he's gone for all of season seven. But then they bring him back for season eight. And they just make all of season seven a dream. Oh, wow. Wow. To allow allow that reset. So it's along <laughs> the same lines of that. I was deep in the Friends game when it was live. Like that was a that was one of the top shows in my house that we watched. Looking back, it doesn't quite hold up as much as you'd want it to. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, but for some people, it does. For some people, it is still like they they can't get enough of it. Looking back, it's like a lot of little things don't make sense. The some of the I'd say the dialogue, definitely the way they're dressed, just did not stand the test of time. Right. Yeah. You know, and some of the core concepts of their stories. But this is a fun way to kind of like take a look back on the show, rewatch it. And if you rewatch it with this idea that Phoebe is a just a meth addict that's hallucinating all of this. <laughs> it would put a very interesting twist on it. Yeah, it would make it a little bit more extreme. You know, some of those crazy antics, you'd be like, just a whole different light. Just like Tom and Jerry, I feel like, yeah, this one would make it worth rewatching it just to have that perspective and make it that much more fun. Right, yeah, because if not, you're like, oh, well, it's just friends. And I'm really sorry if there's any massive friends out there that are like Kyle's hating hardcore on on friends uh but like i said i watched it i liked it it just hasn't stood the test of time for me yeah uh just too many things got outdated really quickly right between late 90s into where we are now but yeah looking at it in this idea because her character as a whole had a lot of weird backstory where she admitted that she was homeless yeah uh, like and her sister tried to kill herself by putting herself her head in an oven like those were all character points for her so why wouldn't this just be some crazy hallucination or maybe it would work where if she just like is on drugs every time you see her in camera like even if it isn't a hallucination the show like just that she is always <laughs> yeah i could yeah just sure. rolling her face off or something like that just having a grand old time why not <laughs> oh man somebody is out there going phoebe would never do drugs phoebe would never that's <laughs> I can't imagine. I'd like to have that conversation <laughs> with, with a person that thinks that Phoebe has never done drugs. Yeah, that that would definitely not go well. All right. Yeah, I think we've got time for one more. Let's see if we can get a roll for one that we have not done yet on our first shot. It's going to be 21. 21. Ah, 21 is we're, we're going to get two extra ones. OK, OK. Number 21 is Polybius. Shameless, non-shameless plug. Yep, exactly. So, Chris, I'll let you take this one away on describing Polybius. Yeah, so, of course, Polybius was the mysterious and possibly government-created video game from the 1980s out in Portland, Oregon, that some say supposedly had weird impacts on multiple people. Definitely got that government, you know, men in black suits type vibe to it. But we actually found this one to be super interesting last season and actually did our season one finale all on our thoughts about Polybius as well as a a really fun 
kind of fictional story that we put together to kind of illustrate how this, you know, urban legend goes and what people like to say about it. So appreciate that Mick Arcade for, you know, recommending this one. It is a great one, but we are going to leave it at, if you are interested, go check out Chapter 16, the Season 1 finale. Like I said, shameless, unshame- <laughs> shameless, non-shameless plug there, but really the best way to cover it is go check that out. For sure, for sure. And our, and our short that we did, which was a ton of fun. Right, right. That fictional short is still one of my favorite, favorite things that we have done to date. So I'm going to roll it up one more time. <laughs> what about number 11, Kyle? Number 11. Ah, we head to the world of wrestling for the first time. And it is Shawn Michaels and Tommy Lee got into a fight over Pam Anderson backstage at WrestleMania 11, 1995. Yeah, I'm glad that we're going to get a wrestling one in here because I don't think our other ones that we had on the list have gotten hit yet. No, I definitely have not. We've got another big one that I was hoping we'd get to, but maybe one day we'll get a part two. Yeah, we'll circle back. So, yeah, there's no way to prove this one because none of the folks involved here, Michaels, Lee, or Anderson, or even anybody backstage has really broken the gossip on this or given out the juicy details on whether or not this actually happened. But the story goes that, you know, Shawn Michaels there in the mid to late 90s was really on the way up. He was gold in the ring. He was, you know, a little bit of a sex symbol in his own right. Yep. You had Pam Anderson, who was widely regarded as one of the most beautiful women in the world. But, of course, she's dating Tommy Lee, who's one of the most famous rock and roll drummers in the world, you know, being the drummer for Motley Crue. And so there was a partnership, a cross-promo going on with Anderson and, you know, Shawn Michaels' character, And so some say that backstage in gorilla position that, you know, Michaels, I guess, was hitting on Anderson or whatever it may be, and Tommy Lee didn't like it, so there was a scuffle that happened. You know, I'll just say first and foremost that I don't think I would be too surprised if this one was true, (laughs) given just how well-documented Shawn Michaels' history with doing these types of things was, you know, and going out to bars, like, kind of egging on fights and, you know, hitting on people's girlfriends and stuff like that. He, he really kind of asked for it. And oh, yeah. Triple H and many of the other friends of his have, you know, blatantly said that in documentaries and stuff. But what do you think, Kyle? I think it's very plausible given the three people that are involved. Like, obviously, you just hit all the points on Shawn Michaels and his known attitude in that era of wrestling. And then you throw in Tommy Lee and Pam Anderson and kind of like their history as both. Obviously, they had the sex tape in like the 98 type range. But I also know there was some domestic abuse stuff going on around that time. So if you look at the dynamics and the personalities of all three people involved, this one is very, very believable. The problem is no one can verify it. Right. And, And that's the tough thing is backstage at a WWE event. There's hundreds of people between production assistants, camera ops, wrestlers themselves, producers, all these people, writers, journalists, yep, work, yep. and nobody saw this go down. Like, that's where the trouble sits in. Well, especially at a mania. 
on and top I'd, of yeah. everything else because there's all those people going on for just like a Monday Night Raw, but this was WrestleMania 11, yeah, which would have just been ten times the normal, just people everywhere. Oh yeah, so that's that's the thing that kind of like is a bit of a heartbreaker, if you will, <laughs> because it, it debunks it. When otherwise, this would be kind of a funny little backstage WWE moment right. that I think they would still talk about, and you'd see A and E doing documentaries on. Like this would be a perfect Dark Side of the Ring. Like Vice, the they have their show, The Dark Side of the Ring. I would watch an entire episode dedicated to this altercation. <laughs> but unfortunately, it does sound like it is a an actual myth. Yeah, and it's so funny because it is literally, like, one of the most believable things we have on this list. Yeah. Like, easily based on everything we said, but it's also, like, probably one of the most straightforward, kind of debunked ones simply from that fact that you said of how many people, you know, at this point, gosh, almost, what, 25 years later, 26 years later, actually, a little more than 25 years I mean, you would think with all the podcast and talking that, you know, kayfabe's broken, so people open up about a lot of this backstage stuff, that this would have been one of those easy, like, juicy softballs for somebody like Michaels to go on with Stone Cold or something and just talk about. But, yeah, never has. Never has. And what a bummer. Yeah, because I would like to see the fight. Because you got to think, like, Tommy Lee scrawny guy don't know he's probably gotten in a few scraps but you'd like to see Shawn michaels be able to get in a legitimate fight can he throw a right hook or is he going to try to get diesel to be his muscle form? <laughs> right yeah that's that's why that, that's actually why diesel had to come in yeah <laughs> they he needed the bodyguard at this point because vince saw this fight happen and was like i'm gonna lose my top talent i need big daddy cool in here Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. You're right. It's such a good one with, with these three and the dynamics. And it would make just for an awesome, juicy story. But it just doesn't, like many others on this list, it just seems unlikely. That could be, you know, Geek Catch-Up Documentary Films Production 2. We've got the Metal Gear trial. And then did the HBK Tommy Lee fight actually happen? Maybe it happened in a private locker room with no one else around. You never know. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, it could have been more of a private matter. Maybe maybe somehow, some way, that mass of people that we were referencing just weren't there. Just weren't there? Yeah. Could have been in a, in a... I'm honestly thinking it could have been in a private locker room. Maybe Tommy Lee got Michaels in a side headlock, Ooh. wouldn't let him go. And then Michaels didn't want to admit that a superstar rock star drummer got him in a headlock and he couldn't get out of it. He'd have strong forearms, man. You know, a drummer, they've got them, them forearm endurance. You know, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. You never know. You never know. <laughs> well, that is a wrap on this session of Question Roulette and Geek Catch-Up Season 2. We hope that you enjoyed hearing a little more about these various myths and urban legends. And if you're listening to this at the time of a release, we will be back in August with season three and if you're listening to this from the future just go ahead and hit next thanks for listening if you enjoyed this chapter be sure to hit the subscribe button to get new chapters of geek catch up every two weeks on apple Podcasts, spotify Castbox, or wherever you listen to your podcast be sure to follow the show on social media 
You can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Geek Ketchup Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Ketchup Pod. Links to all these accounts are in the show notes below and on our website, geekketchuppodcast.com. Stay saucy, you nerds.